0: Just now, we'll turn to the Lord in prayer. We're going to look at the topic tonight, Heroes with Feathers. Heroes with Feathers. So, we're talking about pigeons in World War I. I know we have at least one pigeon fancier in the building tonight, so that really keeps me on my toes. For all I know, there are many more, and I'm sure to get things wrong when I delve into areas where I have never had any experience— but there we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we call upon thy name tonight. We thank thee for that wonderful peace that is brought to us there in song. And had it not been, we acknowledge tonight, had it not been for this man, the God-man, the eternal Son, the Lord Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. May it rather be found and kept in his great salvation, held on to by his eternal and massive security, made fit for heaven. We ask in our Savior's precious name. Amen. The late 18th and into the 19th century saw a rapid development in technology. And that rapid development in technology we now know under the name of the Industrial Revolution. Starting in Europe, major developments there transformed a whole range of industries in those days. There was a growing exploitation of minerals, coal and iron would have been especially important, as was the advent of the steam engine, and in ships and in trains, that was a vital development. It wasn't long before the military started to get in on this industrial revolution and harness some of the energies of these inventions. And after World War I broke out in the summer of 1914, the pressure was building rapidly on those warring nations, on their scientists backing them up, the engineers backing them up, the people in factories backing them up as well, to try and create military advantage through all of this innovation. These main areas were pretty diverse. We had trench construction, we had artillery and its targeting systems, we had the development of poisonous gases, we had submarines, we had tanks, we had railway guns and aeroplanes as well. All of this fresh and new, just for World War I and that era. So we had mass production in factories, and they were churning out large numbers of standardized guns and bullets and also boots and uniforms and tents and all that was needed for fighting on the front. Those guns coming into World War I, because of all the technology and the advancement there, they were more reliable and therefore more accurate. It meant that a bullet was 30 times more likely to strike its target then. By 1914, The most widely used machine gun was the British Maxim, and that was capable of firing out a shocking 660 rounds per minute. That was absolutely revolutionary, and that was totally destructive. Developments in transport, they were also utilized and we had steel becoming standard for battleships and trains, and they were those trains quickly ferrying in battleships as well, large numbers of troops getting them in quicker than ever into those war zones. Advancements in the field of chemistry, led to new high explosives then we have new artillery developed to be able to use the new explosive shells and by the outbreak of world war 1 a single shell weighing 1 ton they could propel that more than 30 kilometers however they preferred smaller and more mobile guns as they had a better rate of fire with those and they could fire a shell once every 3 seconds the first wars in which some of these new military technologies were put into play was not so much World War I, that came on a large scale, but they brought them in to some degree, in the Crimean War, 1854 to 56, and then again the American Civil War, 1861 to 65. And what happened in those two wars, what they did with technology, it provided a taste term for the complete carnage that really was the First World War trench warfare developed there. Frontal assaults against well-defended positions led to massacres, as we only know too well when we think of the history of the Battle of the Somme. Even the recent invention of the telephone back then, it made its way to the battlefield units. Soldiers were using that to order or direct the new artillery fire. In a conflict, the size and the duration of World War I communication was key. Sadly, technology for them. Man- man-made communication systems back then were not always reliable and often failed. The telephone, the telegraph, not as reliable as the commanders in Europe would have liked. So, in an attempt to improve combat communications, the leaders of World War I turned to a much older form of communication, and that older form to which they turned was the carrier pigeon. Military historian Frank Blesich said, when the United States entered the war, the Army Signal Corps boasted cutting-edge technology and expertise, but it was also vulnerable to attacks it could take down its wires and lead to the interception of messages. When the army's chief signal officer, Colonel Edgar Russell, met with British and French signal officers, he learned about an alternative technology, the homing pigeon. And so pigeons were used extensively in World War I. The fact is that in many ways, pigeons, dogs as well, they were the unsung heroes of that First World War, the Great War. Carrier pigeons, both the Allied and the Central Powers, they helped their respective commanders achieve a level of accuracy and also clarity that, believe it or not, they couldn't match by technology. Now, we're thinking in our first main point tonight of the suitability of the pigeon, the suitability of the pigeon. Over the years, no other bird has had such close links with man, being so useful to him in so many ways. Over the centuries, pigeon served as a symbol, as sacrifice. We're talking dove here as well, source of food, and not least a messenger, both in the sacred and also in the secular fields. We have accounts going back into history of them being used for military purposes. Cyrus of Persia, we read of him in the Bible, Book of Daniel. In the 6th century BC, he was using carrier pigeons to communicate with various parts of his extensive empire. In ancient Rome, we had Julius Caesar using pigeons to send messages over into the territory of Gaul, modern-day France. That tradition seemed to have gone into the 4th century as well, and in the Middle East, there were birds used in wartime in conflicts there as well. Then moving into the 19th century, 1870-71, we have the Franco-Prussian War, a kind of a warm-up for World War I in many ways. And what was happening there, they used carrier pigeons— taking messages outside the city of Paris, and in response, the Prussian army besieging them, they used hawks to hunt down and kill the pigeons and stop the messages that were vital to their interests going out microfilm images containing hundreds of messages allowed those letters to be carried into Paris by the pigeon, and then as far as London as well. So, history has shown again and again and again how useful carrier pigeons can be. And so, when it came into the First World War, they knew this is a technology that we are going to use, and they used it extensively. At the first battle of the Marne in 1914, French troops stopped the German advance again on the city of Paris. And as the French advanced and they pushed back the Germans, so the pigeons came along with them. In the heat and the disorientation of battle, pigeons proved to be the best way of sending a message back to the French headquarters. And so at the Marne, we had 72 pigeon lofts, used by the French Army. The U.S. Army Signal Corps, they also used 600 pigeons in France alone. And so the picture is pretty plain. Messenger pigeons had numerous advantages in wartime scenarios. The thing about these birds were, they were easy to transport they ate very little, and that was a big bonus, and they could travel extremely quickly. They weren't easily distracted from their task. A military dog or two might be a lot more easily distracted, and if that pigeon was captured, intercepted by the enemy, well, there was no evidence of its origin or of its destination. The pigeons, when they were properly handled, were trained according to a strict routine. They were only fed once per day, half an hour before sunset, and they were not fed for at least 24 hours after leaving the loft. They weren't released less than half an hour before sunset or before sunrise or in fog because that would reduce their ability to navigate and that would defeat the purpose of them. The lofts that they had sometimes were stationary, and that was a way back behind the lines, and they would return to those with their messages. Stationary lofts, you could have had that in a night building, maybe in a shed, a barn on the roof of a house, or a purpose-built shed you would put up for the purpose of a stationary loft. But then you would have had mobile lofts. They would have been horse-drawn, or as you see in the picture, could have been a converted London bus, because they pushed those into service as mobile lofts for these birds. And once the bird became accustomed to its mobile loft, now in a given position, the lofts could be moved forward or to the rear, and between 60 to 75 birds could be housed in a mobile loft at any one time. Messages were often sent in duplicate. So you would have had, if it were possible, two pigeons or doves released at the interval of a minute, male and female were not released together. I wonder why. Don't speculate. The message would be inside a capsule or a canister that would be attached, little metal thing, to the bird's leg. And if that message was extremely secret, then they would be writing that message in code. Some of the birds they knew will be killed or captured by the enemy and all of the destination origin details would always have been encoded. So, the ability to get home was vital for those who used these birds as their messengers. And of course, they had this homing instinct. We read tonight part of Genesis chapter 8. And in Genesis 8, we have that new Old Testament story of Noah and his release of the dove from the ark and that shows he's familiar here by his practice with the bird's homing ability. He expected it to be a messenger and a signaler to him, and it was. And the symbol of the dove carrying an olive branch, bringing the message of hope and of peace, has endured from Noah's ark right down to our current day. The instincts that allow the pigeon and the dove to find its way home and do so successfully are not really well understood Magnetoreception, a sense that allows an organism to detect a magnetic field, and from that perceive direction, altitude, location, that may play a part in determining its direction, as might a pigeon's ability to identify landmarks. Keen sight, a superior memory, also appear to be factors in how well that pigeon was able to navigate not only had it as a great feature, that extraordinary homing instinct, but also its speed was a big advantage. The pigeon can average a speed of around 90 kilometers per hour over moderate distances. They are therefore faster than a runner, faster than a guy on a bike, faster even than horseback, so, shooting down one, and the enemy tried, you can guarantee that. They tried as best they could, like men probably with AK-47s and I trying to shoot down a plane. But they tried to shoot down the pigeon, and it was nearly impossible. Not quite, but nearly impossible. In many, many cases, the pigeon would always get through. The only natural way to counter them was to do what I've already mentioned, get a hawk, a bird of prey, and get it to take down the pigeon, because it could succeed and would, where a marksman most likely would not. One of the most impressive things about the war records on carrier pigeons was how widely these birds were used. Yes, the common usage would have been by the carrier pigeon service, used for signals, bringing messages. There were other purposes, the British intelligence service. They also employed them, and that was a method that they used to maintain contact with sympathizers and resistance movements in enemy-occupied territory. They used the pigeon the dove for that. And would you believe it? And I was looking for a photograph, should have brought it along with me and put it in the presentation tonight. But birds, these pigeons, traveled on airplanes. The old airplanes, rudimentary and rough and rugged, though they were in that day, they would have taken them up not just once or twice, but many, many times, 829 birds in 10,995 wartime aircraft patrols. They launched the bird-made mission because the pilots up there, surveying the ground, seeing what the enemy is doing, making notes, putting the note then in the pigeon and throwing the pigeon out. Away you go home and take that message back. And they were also very careful, of course, to either throw it above or under the propeller, depending on what way they were going at that particular time. Eleven of the thrown pigeons went missing in action, but all the other messages came through successfully. Again, the Navy would have put them to use as well, and in the last year of World War I, those on the Navy recognized carrier pigeons, we could use them as well, and we can send messages when, for example, radio use becomes impossible— But not only that, whenever a pilot crashed or splashed into the sea, the pigeon that he had with him could be sent back onto the mobile transport that he had. Tanks. I have seen photographs of people putting them out through tanks. And again, as the tanks are advancing and the infantry behind them, so the pigeons are going back with the information that they need they were so suitable, so extensively used. And that, of course, brings me to a point of application regarding the suitability. I'm terming it that. It's not a technical or theological term, but it's a practical one, the suitability of our Lord Jesus Christ. How was He suitable? for us, for our salvation and redemption. He was suitable by means of incarnation. That is, he received a body. He took on human flesh. came as a babe in Bethlehem. Why did he take a body? Why did he want that body? Well, he needed a body in which he could suffer and in which he could die, and God the Father provided that body for him. Hebrews 10, verse 5, I read, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not but a body, hast thou prepared me by incarnation. He was suitable for the work that his Father sent him to do. By inclination as well. Sometimes you can be sent on a job you don't want to do, and you're going kicking and screaming, refusing to do it. But our Lord, He was determined to do, and delighted to do, His own Father's will. Here's what He says in Psalm 40, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do Thy will, O my God, yea, Thy law is within my heart. And then in Hebrews, the chapter 12 and the verse 2, we are told, He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him? How could there be joy in dying on the cross? Because he's dying for that people for whom he will shed his blood, who will be his for all eternity. And that was a joyous thought. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. As we heard Helen sing tonight, just suppose God searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to be that supreme sacrifice that was needed that would buy eternal life for you and me, had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for that old rugged cross, had it not been for the man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost and so would yours. So suitable by incarnation, by inclination, and also by information, because he came as the ultimate and the final messenger of God to man. He brings to you and to me the revelation of God's mind and God's heart. In Malachi 3 and verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger. He shall prepare the way before me. And then he talks of another, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come. In the parable that we read in Mark twelve in the verse one to nine. Our Lord is teaching about a man planting a vineyard. And then it comes a time where the grapes and every part of the fruit should have been there and blossoming and really fruitful. And he sends a servant, go and bring me some choice, produce from my vineyard. And they beat that servant up. He sends another one, they batter him. He sends another one, they murder him. And so the owner of the vineyard resolves in Mark 12 and 6, having therefore yet one son. He is well beloved. He sent him also last, last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. The final messenger, they killed him. And what did this wicked old world do to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? God's final messenger to our hearts, they killed him. There will be no other voice. God from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him if we don't hear Him. And how He's revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures, we'll not have another communication. John 6 and 63, our Lord said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Are you listening to His voice? Paying attention to His Son. He is so suitable as our Savior, our Redeemer, the ultimate messenger of God to men. Suitability of the pigeon, the sacrifice of the pigeon, and don't panic. Points two and three are comparatively short. You'll often find that with preachers. They kind of give it all in the first point, and then, hey, he's finished. It's not going to be quite as quick as that, but the second point and third point are not going to be as long as the first. The sacrifice of the pigeon is the second thing. Suffering and sacrifice would have been pretty much part of their lot. As with any other creature in World War I, that would have been the experience, suffering and sacrifice. They often flew through heavy artillery fire, and they risked injury. Now, we have a number of anonymous birds and I saw a bird in picture that had lost its eye. The eye was shot out while carrying a message from a British seaplane attacked in the North Sea. Despite the injury, the bird got the message through. An officer was holding a pigeon that was able to save the lives of four airmen. They had come down in the sea. But the pigeon, having flown through that terrible gale got to its destination, got the message that saved the airmen's lives, but it it was exhausted, and it died from exhaustion on arrival. An RAF pigeon flew 22 miles in 22 minutes and enabled two shipwrecked seaplane pilots to be rescued at injury to itself. But then we have names for certain pigeons. I'm not sure when you saw that name pop up on screen that you were thinking, that's a pigeon… President Wilson. But it is. This pigeon was born in France. President Wilson helped both the American Tank Corps and the U.S. Infantry men in the fight against Germany. The most famous moment for this pigeon, President Wilson, came when he was assisting the 78th Infantry near Grand Prix during the Meuse-Argoyne Offensive. Engaging the enemy in the morning of the 5th of October 1918, his unit released him to request from the back artillery support to boost them in their progress forward. But the flight wasn't an easy one for him. Seeing Wilson rise up above opposing lines, the German soldiers called out training your guns on him, and the opened fire on the pigeon and peppered him with bullets. While he sustained numerous injuries, President Wilson was able to make his flight back to headquarters in record time in under 25 minutes. We have another pigeon by Neum. You've probably heard of him, Cher Ami, famous pigeon, actually awarded a medal. Fraudeguerre Medal, Palm Oak Leaf Cluster. For its exploits in Verdun, twelve important messages delivered by Cheramy on that particular and extensive battle. Then on its final mission, on the 3rd of October, 1918, the war is coming to its close at this point. Major Charles White Whittlesey, more than 550 men, were trapped in a small depression. And the enemy had closed in on two sides of them and were picking them off, pretty much at random and with wild abandon. They're receiving now not only enemy fire, but friendly fire, because their own artillery barrage is coming and landing on top of them as well. Their troops didn't know their location. And so, surrounded by Germans, taking their own shells as well now, many of the 550 men were killed and wounded, and only 194 were left alive and not captured or wounded by the end of that battle. Now, because all of the runners he was sending out were being consistently intercepted or killed by the Germans, Whittlesey decided, what I'm going to do is send out a pigeon. Send out a pigeon. Pigeon number one carried the message, many wounded, we cannot evacuate, that pigeon was shot down. A second bird sent out with a message, men suffering, can support be sent, that pigeon was shot down as well. Third one, share dispatched me. Dispatch with a note written on onion paper in a canister on its right leg, we are along the road, parallel to 276.4, Our own artillery is dropping a barrage directly on us. For heaven's sake, stop it. And as Jeremy tried to fly home, the Germans saw him rising out of the brush and opened fire. After several seconds, he shot down, but he managed to take flight again. He arrived back at his loft at at divisional headquarters, 25 miles to the rear. In just those 25 minutes, he saved the lives of 194 survivors. He had been shot through the breast, blinded in one eye, had a leg by this stage hanging only by a tendon. But Jeremy became a very famous pigeon. And when eventually took it home to America… When it died over there, then well, I'll put the picture of that uh, bird up again, when it died in America at Fort Monmouth in New Jersey, 13th of June 1919, what they did was they inducted it into the Racing Pigeon Hall of Fame, 1931, and it became an absolute hero for that division. Not only that, we find also that it was very highly decorated and is now on display. You can see this pigeon on display in the National Museum of America's History Price of Freedom Exhibition. What value could you put on a bird or birds like these? And I'm asking the same question about the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Redeemer, who can assess or even put an estimate on the paean of Calvary. And when I read about what our Lord endured... For us, I turn, for example, to Luke 23 in verse 33, and I find what is a forensic like statement there simply. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. Few other details. Isaiah 53 in verse 5 is more explicit, but he was wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. But if I want to better gauge the depth of my Lord's sufferings for me, I have to go back further in the Bible, and I go to Psalm 22. And there I have details in prophetic and picture format, and they're pretty gory and grisly. Many bulls have compassed me, Strong bulls of passion have beset me around they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Then he cries, I am poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint, my heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels, my strength is dried up like a pot sherd, my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and the agony, I think we can get the lines of agony coming through there, and he goes on to say, for dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, and then that line that you'll be familiar with. They pierced my hands and my feet. However, in spite of these still minimal details, when we add in the huge component that we can't possibly calibrate, what did it mean for Jesus Christ on that cross to bear the burden and the penalty of my sin? What did it mean for him to feel the Punishment that God demanded from him as He is bearing my iniquities. Eternal punishment that would have come my way, nigh crashing down on him. What would it have felt like to have been abandoned by the Father? So much so that he cries, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? Do you know what that does? It takes our Savior's suffering and it pushes it way beyond the power of our imagination to conceive and way beyond the power of our words to describe. Sometimes we sing, but none of the ransomed ever knew how deep. Where the waters crossed, nor how dark was that night that the Lord passed through, ere he found his sheep that was lost. This was suffering, sacrifice, substitution, such as mortal man could never endure, and such as we could never repay. Suitability. Sacrifice. Briefly, the success of the pigeon. They proved to be invaluable in World War I, extremely reliable way of sending messages. We have Swiss soldiers here, but for the British Expeditionary Force, the necessity possibility of maintaining liaison by means of pigeons has been demonstrated, they said, during the Battle of Verdun, confirmed during the offensive on the Somme, Such was the importance of these pigeons that they were saying in many cases it's the only one that's able to resist the weather and the means of destruction by the enemy. Over 100,000 were used in the war with an astonishing success rate. If any football manager had a success rate anywhere close to that, they would win the league every single year without fail, and no one would be near them. 95% success rate in getting the messages through using these pigeons. Extremely reliable. In one period from the 29th of August through to the 11th of September, 1918, and we're talking about one mobile loft only, it received 78 important messages from the front. Such spectacular success. Without the action of these birds, more lives would undoubtedly have been lost. 27th of November, 1917, pigeons coming to the rescue. What we had was the ensign, Kenneth Smith and his crew crashed, but they were rescued, crashed in foggy weather they were rescued by the pigeons. Released them, and they brought people to them. Whenever the decorations were starting to be given out, well, there was a lot of decorations came, especially, and we're talking about World War I tonight, but especially in World War II. I can't resist it. Some of the names of the pigeons in World War II, they were decorated. Winky, Commando, now, how did these two ever get together? I wonder, were they in the same loft? Paddy and William of Orange. Mary of Exeter, whoever she might have been. G.I. Joe, Gustaff, and Beach Comer. On the 16th of April, 1919, the troop transport docked in New Jersey, and coming off that transport were a lot of men. Of the pigeon company number one, and 174 of their feathered comrades came off with them. Chief among them, Cher Ami. Little wonder Jesse Kratz described the pigeons as the unsung heroes of World War I. And I turned an application to the victory of Calvary. Despite what men say, despite how they dismiss this, Christ's mission to Calvary, as God's greatest messenger, did not end in failure, but victory. That victory was signaled by the triumphant cry that came from that cross, it is finished. The work of atonement, complete. The sinners for whom he died, will be saved. Confirmed three days later by that glorious resurrection from the dead, the best attested fact in human history. You can check that out. And it simply waits today for the day when this victory will be fully expressed. 1 Corinthians 15 and 25, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet, In Revelation 19, final book in the Bible, a couple of chapters from the end, we have a little preview of this victory, and we're told as one of the details, and he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has reigned and conquered over everything. Nothing else exists, but it is under him. Tell me, Are you on the winning side, or are you lined up on the losing side? Whose side are you on? Are you with Christ, having called upon Him, turned from sin and repentance, called upon Him in faith, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, be my Savior? Who are you lining up with? Have you repented and trusted in Christ? Is your heart right with God?